Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another round of the Dirty 35 podcast version of our prospect countdown for Birds on the Black. I'm your host, I'm Kyle Reese, for Birds on the Black and Prospects After Dark. Now, I guess first things first, uh, I want to apologize to everyone uh, for taking so much time to get the next three rounds of the podcast version of the Dirty 35 out. Uh, I've been dealing with a lot of stuff, both emotionally and physically, uh, professionally and uh, personally lately, and my mind just hasn't been in the right spot to get this out, to get these out to you. Uh, So I just want to apologize to the audience for it, and and, uh, hopefully we can get through this and we can uh, provide you with some content while baseball isn't happening because of uh, COVID-19. To get you up to date, if you want to go back to the Birds on the Black podcast network, you'll be able to find the podcast for prospects 31 through 35, 26 through 30, 21 through 25, and 16 through 20. Today, we're going to do 15 through 11. Uh, I'm going to give you the rundown first. Prospect number 15 is Luke and Baker. Prospect number 14 is Tony Losey. Prospect number 13 is Griffin Roberts. Prospect number 12 is Jake Woodford. And prospect number 11 is Malcolm Nunez as our T is ready. In case you can hear that whistling noise going on. Uh, Prospect number 15 on the Dirty 35 is 22-year-old first baseman. uh, Drafted out of Texas Christian University. First baseman, Luke and Baker. Now, Baker's fun because, uh, you know, he was a junior when he was drafted out of TCU. He was a two-way player. Uh, he's a big boy. He's like six foot. First off, he's a monster, really. He's six foot four, every bit of 250 pounds, uh, maybe even taller, maybe even bigger. He was a two-way athlete at TCU his freshman year. He was a relief pitcher, and he was a first baseman. Well, his arm didn't hold up for the, the relief pitcher aspect. So for his sophomore and junior year, they transitioned him to a first baseman full-time. Well, uh, both years were shortened. Both his sophomore and freshman, or sophomore and junior years, were shortened because of injuries. So when the Cardinals drafted him, it was a bit of a reach, although it was warranted because they saw his the tremendous potential. Now, uh, as a big boy, he struggles to play a little bit of first base. Uh, you would, as you would suspect, like at the beginning of the year he was below average. At the end of the year he would flash average, but was still below average. He has plenty of work to do defensively at first base. But, you know, I would remind everyone as we talk about Luke and Baker that this is the first full season that he's had of baseball since he was a fresh or a, 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 a senior in high school. That's a long time to go without having a full season of baseball. Uh, his, his freshman year was shortened because of an arm issue. Uh, his sophomore year was shortened. Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess it up. Uh, so it was either his sophomore or junior year that he slid into second uh, and broke his leg. Uh, and he also uh, broke his arm uh, rounding first and running into a first baseman uh, uh, in one of those years. And now I can't remember which year it happened, the order for which those two injuries happened. And I apologize for that. But just think about that. He hasn't had a full season of baseball. 2019 was his first full season of baseball since he was a senior at the high school level. So to see him uh, adjust to the minor league level was really interesting in 2019. He got off to a, a, a great start for Palm Beach. Now, again, for those of you who don't know, the Palm Beach uh, takes place in the Florida State League. Florida State League is the pitcher's league. Uh, that's where Roger, uh, Roger Dean Stadium is. The, the, the winds are swirling. The stadiums are cavernous. And it's hard for hitters to hit in that league. Um, you know, you, when you look at the stats, you'll see that he hit below 240 
and his WRC plus was about 115 on the season. Goes to show you that even while not producing, you know, big offensive numbers other than the uh, the beautiful 30 plus doubles that he put up, uh, he was still 15 percent better than the league average for the Palm B- uh, for the Florida State League. That's how hard it is to hit in that league to be offensively productive in that league. What we saw out of, uh, other than the defense, which we're not going to talk about more than that, he just seems to continue to get better. It flashes average, but it's below average. But what we saw out of him at the plate, this big monster of a human being that hawks over you when you see him. And we saw, now the minor league season's five months, April, May, June, July, and August. And we saw just a completely different person every month, it seemed like. In April, he had a four, uh, he, he got on base about 41% of the time, close to 42% of the time. That's an on-base percentage of .417 or 412, I can't remember, but in that range. He didn't make a ton of contact. He was still only hitting about 260 during the time, uh, but he was striking out as much as he was walking, and he was trying to walk as much as possible. Then what we saw in May is we saw his power increase. Uh, power was through the roof, but we also saw his on-base percentage decline. Uh, we saw the amount of pitches he'd see in an at-bat decline. Uh, he wasn't working counts particularly well. Then in June and July, we saw him try to correct this. We saw him try to uh, uh, incorporate walks while uh, incorporating more power as well. And it just didn't click for him. He had two terrible months. June and July were terrible. When he entered the month of August in 2019, there wasn't a whole lot to be excited about. I mean, I went from being super high on him as we entered the uh, uh, the midseason Dirty 35 to getting some pretty like worrisome reports where he was just pressing at the plate, uh, didn't really have much of a plan of attack at the plate. Uh, and this big monster who can kind of drive to both gaps and has some, some line drive pull power None of it was happening the way that he had hoped or the way that any of us had hoped. Uh, so to see him blow the roof off of August, you know, again, to, just to reiterate one more time, the first full season that he's had since a high school senior, to see him come around in August where he was walking uh, and hitting for power and uh, hitting doubles and taking great at-bats was about as positive of a development as possible. As he entered August, he had a sub-100 WRC+. Plus. He entered. He left August with a 115 WRC plus on the season. Uh, in August, his WRC plus was over 200. He was a monster in August, and it all clicked. Uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of people who will see the aggressive 15 and think, man, that's that's a little too aggressive for a guy who strikes out 20 plus percent of the time uh, and who, for being as big as he is, doesn't hit a ton of home runs. Uh, you know, on the season, he had 30 plus doubles and uh, 12 home runs, I believe. Uh, he's about ready to enter the Texas League whenever the season starts, if it starts. He's going to enter the Texas League, and that's a hitter's league. Now, I, I think you're going to talk about his... his um, Strikeout level kind of staying the same. His walk level staying the same. But I think what you're going to see is those 30-plus doubles that he hit. uh, He's going to hit 15-plus home runs. He's going to hit close to 20 home runs. The doubles are probably going to level out a little bit, probably 25-30. I think that that's a reasonable expectation, especially now that he's a little bit more seasoned, especially now that he isn't going to spend every second that he has working on his defense at first base. Uh, And I think what you're talking about for Luke and Baker in the 2020 season, whenever it happens, is a huge offensive breakout. You know, I, I think you'll look at it and you'll see a guy who hits 260 with a 360 on burst percentage, uh, has 28 doubles, 18 home runs, and, and is playing slightly below average first base. And you'll see a guy who has a prototype uh, with continued growth to be a DH at the major league level. 
I am really excited about the steps that Luke and Baker made in 2019, uh, even though it was a tumultuous and roller coaster season. And I'm anxious to see what it looks like when he finally gets to take the field in 2020. That's prospect number 15, Luke and Baker. Now, prospect number 14 is the big righty. If you know, it's funny to put Tony Losey and Luke and Baker back to back on the list. They're kind of the same person. They're both monsters. Uh, uh, one's a pitcher, the other one is a first baseman. But Tony Losey was the uh, third round pick in the 2019 draft for the St. Louis Cardinals. Big righty uh, out of Georgia. Um, I think six foot four, every bit of 220 pounds. I, I'd push, I'd go all in on 230. Uh, he just has so much size, and it is, it's pretty evident. Like you see him, and you know that there's, there's some incredible size. In the early stages of his windup, uh, pretty much up until his hand separated the glove, he looks like Lance Lynn. Now, in the article, I go out of my way to compare Tony Losey to Mitchell Boggs. I, I really think that Tony Losey is going to have a major league career similar to what we saw to Mitchell Boggs. And before you pan that, because, you know, Mitchell Boggs ruined Michael Waka's major league debut. Uh, he was overexposed in the bullpen and continued to be used while being overexposed. But go back and look, and Mitchell Boggs was a very vital part, part of the Cardinals' uh, uh, bullpen for at least three years. And that's a great value for a third-round pick. Now, I think Tony Losey, Tony Losey has more potential. I don't think his secondary pitch is as good as Mitchell Boggs was at the major league league level, but I think that it has the potential to be better. His fastball is better. It's more lively. It's a high spin fastball that when he uses high in the zone, it's almost impossible to get around on, especially for minor leaguers. He has a slider that he plays off of that well, where he's going to, and the slider still has work to do. I'm not trying to like say that uh, it's a plus pitch. It's not. It flashes above average. It's an average offering now. What he needs to continue to uh, integrate, what he needs to continue to get better with uh, the big righty out of Georgia, just like Mitchell Boggs was. He needs to continue to work on his changeup, and I'd like to see him work on maybe a curve or a splitter or something else uh, as a fourth offering, just something to change the eye level of hitters. That fastball is lively. It's going to play against lefties and righties. The slider is lively. It's going to play against lefties and righties. It's just what's that third pitch going to do, and how far along is it going to come, and at what pace? That's the interesting thing about Tony Losey. Again, big boy. I love his mechanics. He uses his entire body to throw. Um, comes from a prestigious program. And I like Tony Losey a lot. Now, in the interest of being completely candid, uh, I, I I looked at it once you step away. And I think that 14 for Tony Losey is a bit aggressive. Uh, we mentioned with prospect number 17, uh, uh, Cody Whitley, that I'd like for him to go higher. I would, If I was doing it over... I would put Losey behind both Baker and Justin Williams. Uh, I do have my serious concerns after watching plenty of him that he's going to stick as a starter. But that fastball and that slider combination is really, really damn good. And he's a smart kid with a big body that, you know, he doesn't have the command that even comes close to what Lance Lynn had out of his fastball. But if he can just continue to incorporate and work on his fastball command, then we might be on to something here with a guy who profiles a little bit like Lance Lynn, who doesn't need to throw a lot, but can locate his fastball. Um, uh, he was great out of the bullpen for Peoria. He definitely battled his command out of the bullpen at Peoria. But, I mean, there were times when he was blowing that fastball uh, by hitters at the A level for Peoria, and it was comical. And same thing with his 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 slider. The slider was enough to throw those uh, uh, not-so-advanced A-level hitters off in a way that you would laugh about. So uh, that's prospect number 14 on the Dirty 35. Third round pick in the 2019 draft, Tony Losey out of Georgia. Still plenty to work on, but you see the raw tools 
that are are built off of his fastball uh, that make you know that there is a major league future in there. Prospect number 13 on our list is um, second-round pick in 2018, right-handed pitcher Griffin Roberts. Now, uh, I'm going to take a quick sip of tea. Hold on. Tea's hot. Uh, Griffin Roberts is the, the righty out of Wake Forest who spent the first 50 days, 50 games of the 2019 season on suspension after testing positive for cannabis. Now, uh, your, your own personal thoughts on that aside, you know, he broke the rules and he was punished for it. Now, I would also remind you that the rules have been changed and now if you test positive for it, you don't get suspended. Now, it was took two positive tests to, uh, to get the suspension. So that goes to show you that, I mean, he might not be the, the sharpest tack in the drawer, but uh, he tested positive, missed the first 50 games. Now, he was back at extended spring training, and it's all the reports that I, were, I was getting was that he looked really, really good at extended spring training, was dominating hitters. But then when he finally made his debut at the end of uh, May for Palm Beach, he looked terrible. Griffin Roberts is all slider, and his slider is the best pitch in the organization uh, at the minor league level. Not the, not the major league level, at the minor league level. Of all the kids who haven't made a major league debut, Griffin Roberts has the best pitch of them all. It's a slider. It's amazing. He can throw it like a Frisbee. He can make it tight. He can make it more of a cutter. He can command it. He locates it. It's wonderful. But what he became um, a prisoner of, what really hurt him during the 2019 season, his shortened 2019 season, is that he was overthrowing his fastball, uh, which meant that he wasn't locating it properly, and he was a victim of that one bad inning. Now, that one bad inning usually happened in the first or second inning of all of these starts, where he would honestly kind of just get nickeled and dimed uh, and then let up a bunch of runs. And that's why his ERA is through the damn roof. The other reason his ERA is through the roof is he walked everyone. His command could not have been any worse during the 2019 season. It was like... He was just overthrowing everything. Now, his, he still commanded his slider really well. And I'll be honest with you. Anybody with half a brain, any catcher with half a brain, would have called on that slider as often as possible. This spring, we saw Andrew Kisner call on that thing maybe 70% of the time, and it was unhittable. In his last start for Palm Beach with against Bradenton, with Avon Herrera catching him, Avon Herrera went slider fastball heavy. And that was his best start uh, in the 2019 season. He was nearly untouchable. No one got no one got to him hard. It was a bunch of soft contact when it was soft contact. Uh, uh, but what we saw out of Palm Beach is that he couldn't locate anything other than his fastball and his slider. And even his fastball command was rough because he was overthrowing his fastball. Uh, so you'll look at the stats and you'll see that he hardly struck out anybody. And he walked about as many people as he struck out. And both numbers were not good. You'll see the huge ERA. The huge FIP, the huge whip, and say, man, what a disappointing and terrible season. Uh, and you're right. You're 100% correct. 2019 was as bad of a season as you could ever imagine for a pitcher as talented and as gifted uh, as Griffin Roberts. But the positive is he goes to the Arizona Fall League. And while he lets up uh, uh, plenty of hits, he doesn't let up a lot of runs. He strikes out about a person in inning, and he only walks two batters. Now, his velocity was down, uh, which is really interesting, something to keep an eye on. But it was a successful turn in the Arizona Fall League as the Cardinals were looking to fill some of those innings that he lost by being suspended in the first 50 games of the season. It was a bad 2019 year for Griffin Roberts, but a positive end to that terrible year. Now, why does a player 
that was as terrible as Griffin Roberts was in 2019, find his way to number 13 on the Dirty 35? The answer is because the talent is there. The talent, the skill is there. The curveball... It's not really, he doesn't use it very often. The changeup needs to get better. Look, the, the difference in between Griffin Roberts as a reliever and Griffin Roberts as a starter is going to come down to if he can control uh, a, a, cur- a changeup, rather. If he can get a feel for a changeup, then he's going to be a starter in the long term, and that's exciting. Uh, otherwise, you're talking about a player that you'll see like Michael Waka, not his rookie year, but every year since, where he was just a two pitch pitcher that couldn't get away uh, with, with getting that third pitch over. And thus, he would get beat around a little bit, but also be pretty impressive uh, here and there. But the thing is that that slider from Griffin Roberts is so damn good and so damn fun to watch. And we saw that in spring here and there, uh, little by little. And he is just, he's tremendously talented. He just needs time to figure it out. Now, this is the worst thing. Now, he maybe he's more prepared for this than ever uh, with, with the season being suspended. His season was suspended last year. Maybe he'll be more prepared for it, just being able to go through it in the past. Uh, but I, I was bullish that this kid would start the year at Springfield. He would, he would show us right away how talented he was. And then you would see him maybe even at the major league level by the end of the 2020 season. That's a huge rush, definitely by the end of the 2021 season. I thought that this was the track he was on, especially after the positive Arizona Fall League that he had. Uh, But prospect number 13 on our list is right-handed pitcher Griffin Roberts. The slider is, it's an 80-grade slider. Uh, It probably has 50-grade command of it uh, it, with a fastball that flashes and moves and maybe some mechanics that needed cleaning up that looked to be cleaned up in spring training. And it looked like he was due for a positive rebound in 2020. Uh, I I like Griffin Roberts. It's hard for me to turn my back on him. I'm just so bullish on his potential. But as bad as he was in 2019, it and as, as much as I'm pimping him here, I don't want to gloss over the fact that he has a serious command issue that needs to get better. Prospect number 12 on our Dirty 35 is I get just a little bit more tea. You know, I can take a little sip of tea here because this is where um, more prominent podcasts would jam advertisements down your throat. Uh, uh, anyways, prospect number 12 on the Dirty 35 is right-handed pitcher Jake Woodford. Now, Jake Woodford is a former first-round draft pick from the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, it seems like he's been in the organization forever, the big six foot three, six foot four righty that uses his entire body to throw. Now, in the article, I'll tell you that it seems like every year I'm writing about a different repertoire for Jake Woodford, and that'd be the same thing for this coming season, uh, for this last season, I mean. He was a slider two-seam guy, and now he's a four-seam curveball guy. Jake Woodford has had a lot of trouble finding an arsenal that suits him, finding an arsenal that he's comfortable with. But it seems like this is the first time in his life that he is set on the arsenal that he has, which is kind of a two-seam curve. Well, it's it's four-seam curve with a two-seam change as a backup. Now, uh, the gist is really, really simple with Jake Woodford. He was just added to the 40-man for the St. Louis Cardinals. If the season would have been played in earnest, we would have seen him in 2020. I don't know what it looks like now. But if Jake Woodford can go from messing around, like right now he messes around with hitters. He doesn't attack them. He kind of plays on the black, lives on the, lives on the edge. And that doesn't get enough, like, uh, enough chase from hitters. At the AAA level. Now, he could have got away with this at at Palm Beach. He could have got away with this at Peoria. But he can't get away with it at AAA. Probably at this point, he couldn't get away with it, get away with it at Springfield either. So now he's at AAA, and he's 
throwing his fastball on the black all the time, throwing his, his curveball on the black, throwing all of his secondary pitches on the black. And it's hurting him. Now, he had a, he got off to a great start. The first two months of the season, he was getting away with that. He was getting chase. Now, he was still throwing way too many balls and walking too many people. But it was, it was fooling some hitters into chasing. But they caught onto it quick as advanced 4A players and uh, elite prospects at the AAA level were adapting to it. So what you saw in the second half of the season is those hitters, they just stopped chasing. They didn't care. They weren't going to give up an at-bat because they knew Woodford was just going to throw the ball on the corners and hope that you chased. And because of that, the amount of balls that he threw went up like 10% or something crazy like that. And the amount of walks he issued went up like 3%, which is a huge amount. While also, uh, which sounds crazy, his strikeout rate went up. The one positive about Woodford's, other than, you know, it really was a successful uh, 2019 season at AAA, uh, but the one, like, huge positive for Woodford, even with the high ERA, even with the high walk rate, was that his strikeout rate was the highest it has ever been at the minor league level. That is a huge positive. That means that the repertoire is worth settling on. It's just the command of that repertoire needs to come along. You'll see that huge ERA, that huge FIP, but it comes with the asterisk that AAA was using the Major League Baseball and home runs were through the roof, 54% more in 2019 over 2018. And you'll see that huge FIP, that huge uh, ERA, but both were in the upper tier of AAA of pitchers in AAA. That goes to show you how the offense in the Pacific Coast League, which is already a hitter's league, went through the roof. Uh you know, that's hard. That's tough. That's bad. But even with that huge stuff, like, he was still better than league average at AAA. There's a major league future for Jake Woodford. I personally believe uh, you're talking about something maybe more similar to Brad Thompson than you are, you know, Giovanni Gallegos or Ryan Helsley. I think he's a swing starting pitcher uh, that, uh, you know, up and down between AAA and does some work here and there. Maybe pitches out of the bullpen. Maybe he's your long man. Uh, but... His, his curve is really good, and I don't give it the credit it deserves. I don't think anyone gives it the credit it deserves, but he also doesn't do himself any favors because he's just kind of screwing around with it. Same thing with his fastball. His fastball lives 93, 95. It has good spin. It's not like off the charts. It's not something that, you know, a rap Soto is going to write about. But it's still a pretty damn good fastball curve combo. He needs to work on the changeup. He needs to work on the two-seamer that he, from what I understand, he's abandoned, but he still toys with every once in a while. I'd like to see him work on a cutter. I think a cutter would be huge for him, especially against lefties, although he's pretty good against lefties too. Uh, he needs to suppress the home runs. He let up a ton of home runs during the 2019 season, but again, that's what happens when you're playing with the Major League Baseball at the AAA level for the Pacific Coast League where everybody rakes. Uh, that's about all for Jake Woodford. Like, I just want to see him go after hitters. Don't don't pitch on the defensive until you need to pitch on the defensive. You know, one thing that'll go really well for Jake is if he can just continue to work ahead of hitters. In the first half, that was one area where he had more success. That's why his numbers were better in the first half as opposed to the second half. Uh, hitters were helping him out, and then they stopped helping him out. And he needs to take... Uh, he needs to be the aggressor. He needs to be the one to force himself ahead in counts. And if he can work ahead in counts, just like with 
Dakota Hudson, if he can work ahead and counts, and that changes just how effective he can be. Um, the difference between him, the main difference between Jake Woodford and Dakota Hudson is Jake Woodford doesn't induce ground balls at the level that Dakota Hudson does. And that's why Dakota Hudson has potential to beat his FIP. Uh, that's why he has potential staying power and why we are very concerned about Jake Woodford. Uh, but still, with all of these concerns, one level away from the major league level, with still at the age of 23, very, very young age, with a 40-man spot in hand uh, and the ability to contribute to the pitching depth at both the major league and minor league level, that warrants the 12 spot on the Dirty 35, which belongs to right-handed pitcher Jake Woodford. The last prospect we'll go over for this version of the podcast is 19-year-old third baseman Malcolm Nunez. Now, Malcolm Nunez uh, was a $300,000 sign for the Cardinals in the international period of 2018. And it was a surprise because this is a kid who made his name on the international circuit as like a 13, 14, 15-year-old. That he signed for $300,000 was kind of suspicious, uh, but he did. And we should be happy about it. And the Cardinals got him. And that's really wonderful. Uh, in the article, and again, I, I, I implore you to read the article. Just look at the article because I show you a gif of him when he was 15 years old. He might have been 14, but I don't age math well. Uh, he might have been 14, definitely 15 years old. Uh, no older than 15 at least. And you see his swing. Now, for a righty, it was, it's beautiful. I mean, you see his body type too, which is a little bit slender but also built. Uh, uh, and you see that beautiful swing and you're like, man... That swing is wonderful. Now, then you fast forward to the other gifts in the article, and you see a kid who's like wrapping his hands around a telephone pole uh, as, he, as he lifts up his leg as his timing mechanism comes. And it's alarming. Now, uh, he needs to work on his timing. You know, he gets his leg way up, and it throws off his hips, and it forces his hands to, like, roll around the telephone pole. He needs to work on those hands. He needs to work on his front foot timing mechanism. That's the only way he's going to have the success that we saw in 2018. Now, for those of you who don't know, in 2018, the kid hit 400 uh, at, at the Gulf Coast League, or at the uh, Dominican Summer League. He was a Triple Crown winner in the Dominican Summer League. He was as dominant of a hitter as you will see at that league. Uh, maybe even at any league, to be honest. He has that potential to continue to do that type of damage, this third base teenager, uh, this teenager who plays third base, rather. But we didn't see that in 2019. He got a small taste of Peoria, and it was pretty good at the onset uh, of his, like, 10-game stint. Uh, first three or four games, he was pretty good. But then it just got worse and worse and worse as he got more and more aggressive. Uh, as people started to realize that they could beat him with fastballs up and in. Uh, because of what he was doing with his hands. The mechanical issue with the hands is going to be key for him. If he cannot, uh, 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 I guess, iron that out, if he cannot revert back to what he was when he was on the international circuit, then he's in trouble because it slows down his swing and it causes him to get on top of pitches. And when I say get on top of pitches, I mean bury stuff into the ground the, the stuff that he can get to because everything else is blown by him because he's wasting time. Hold on, more tea. But the other thing that Malcolm Nunez has to be uh, cognizant of or aware of is he has that body type, just kind of like Aliris Montero, where you could see the danger of putting on too much weight and you could see it happening easily. So he's going to have to watch his weight. The other thing with uh, um, Malcolm Nunez is that Nunez dealt with shoulder slash back 
uh, slash neck issues in 2019. And that was part of the reason why his statistics at the Johnson City level were not good. He missed the first month of the Johnson City season, which is, you know, uh, June 15th-ish to July something-ish, that first month or so. Uh, And then he kind of dealt with this little nagging neck-back-shoulder issue throughout the rest of the last two months of the short-season season. I would suggest or suspect that the reason that he struggled so greatly was because of his body. You know, he put on a little extra weight. He needs to keep that thing lean. He needs to be careful about the body that he's care the, the amount of mass he's carrying on his frame. Uh, my guess is that if he slenders down a little bit, leans up a little bit, those neck, shoulder, and back issues are going to go away. It was not a very successful season for him at the Johnson City level. Uh, it was definitely a kind of a disappointment at the end of his time at Peoria. His, you know, you look at those stats and you'll be kind of disappointed. It, I wouldn't call it a huge disappointment, but I would say that I was hoping to see him bust out both in Johnson City and Peoria. The best part about his season was that when it got to Appalachian League playoff time, Appy League playoff time, he was a producer. He was driving in key runs. Uh, And he was the star of the Johnson City team in the playoff push as they won the Appy League Championship, both in the field and at the plate. What we saw out of him on the international circuit before he was signed, when he was playing for Team Cuba uh, as a teen and a preteen, he always rose to the occasion. Malcolm Nunez is a prime-time player. He has that ability in him. He rises to the occasion. That's who he is, that's in his blood, and that is wonderful. We talk about his defense. I have serious concerns about his ability to stick at third. He has a great arm. It's a cannon. It's not like, it's probably just a kick below Nolan Gorman's. It's not nearly close to Aliris Montero's, but it's good, and it's, I mean, it's impactful at, tr- at the third, ba- at third base. That's good. But we've seen now that he's added a little bit of bulk, he's bulk, he's lost a step to both his left and his right. He's hiding some of his athleticism in that body, and he needs to continue to work on his body structure to unlock his athleticism, similar to Johan Oviedo. Uh, you know, we'll get to Johan Oviedo in the next podcast, but Oviedo, when he unlocked, uh, when he got his body into a lean, mean fighting machine, that's when he unlocked some of his, unlocked some of his athleticism that he had, another, he had not otherwise tapped into. The same thing with Malcolm Nunez. Um, to talk about a 19-year-old and to worry about his body type is definitely a disaster. Like, it's the last thing you want to worry about. But just like with Johan Oviedo, it took him until he was 21 to really understand the nutritional aspect of being a professional athlete, the conditioning aspect of being a professional athlete, and run with it to the point where he's on the verge of a breakout. That's what I think we're going to be talking about with Malcolm Nunez in the next couple of years, depending on how he comes out of the, uh, the, the, the break here, because you just don't know how any of these kids are going to come out of the break. Uh, it's actually concerning just from a developmental standpoint. I can't imagine being in the Cardinals front office and trying to judge like what's next, what's next. At least they're getting paid at least for the first time really. They're, they're getting a little bit of cash and maybe they can convert that into uh, progression athleticism wise or progression baseball skills wise but uh, that's a conversation for a completely different day what I know for sure is our prospect number 11 19 year old third baseman Malcolm Nunez has the basis the foundation to be a dynamic offensive contributor at the major league level he just needs to work on the mechanical issue of his hands so he can tap in and also his body so that he can tap into his raw athleticism to be the power producer that he's capable of, the run producer that he's capable of. 
uh, because he is a show-stopping big game player that will travel from level to level. It's just the body and the hands need to get under control. And when his body gets under control and he can unlock some of that athleticism, that's when we'll see the defense at third base revert back to what we saw uh, when he was a teenager in the international circuit, uh, a preteen, mid-teen in the international circuit, which was a kid who looked like he'd be able to stay a third. Um, but right now, that's where our concerns are. Uh, prospect number 11, third baseman, 19-year-old Malcolm Nunez, has all of the potential to be a major, major league offensive contributor. He just needs to get back on track. And remember, at 19 years old, there's still plenty of time to get back on track. Now, that is this version, this section of the Dirty 35 Prospect Countdown, Prospects 15 through 11, uh, the podcast version. I am Kyle Reese. I was your host. If you were listening to this, you're part of the Reese existence. Uh, if you have any questions, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at KYLER416. You can DM me. You can put it on my timeline. If you want to email me, you can email me at KYLER416 at yahoo.com. I love talking about this stuff. I love answering questions. I love having open, honest, and wonderful communication with the pad people uh, because you're all wonderful, and I am forever grateful for you in ways that I can't even begin to describe or uh, uh, articulate to you. So I won't even try. I'll just say, again, if you're listening to this, you are part of the Reese existence. Come back very soon. We'll have prospects 10 through 6 for you, and then five through one for you. Uh, And as always, family, happy hunting.